you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists, like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. The Around the NFL Podcast. Need a soft reboot. Damn straight. Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL Podcast. My name is Dan Hansis, coming to you from a city filled with heroes in bunkers. Mark Sessler, Chris Wessling, Greg Rosenthal. What is up, boys? Hey, Dan. What would a soft reboot mean, Mark says? Um, well, I mean, personally, it would be uh, I'm cleaning up my act from an aesthetic perspective, uh, buying some new clothes. I've been wearing the same shirt, you know, same two or three shirts every day on repeat, often not putting them into the wash, just kind of cleaning up some personal habits uh, for me. Hmm. I think it could be like you bring the show back next week except um, it's hosted by like MJ Acosta, Aditi, Colleen, and Lindsay Rhodes. That's, that's a soft reboot? That, that's the that's a full reboot. <laughs> that's a pretty hard reboot. Okay, right I guess I didn't understand. <laughs> um, could happen. They hold the intellectual property of the program. They can do with it as they please. So never, never get too comfortable is what I would say. You know, but as things stand right now, <laughs> right. things seem okay. We seem to be delivering on what, what they need. And uh, hopefully we'll continue to do that and stay employed during this really unpredictable time in human history. But you never know. There was a TV show called Around the NFL. And then they just one day, they like they changed the name, they changed the vibe, they changed the host, but it was sort of the, still the same show. And, uh, mm-hmm. and now here we are, like five years later, we're back. On well, TV it concerns that me that Greg, is, Greg has planted a very probably, um, if anyone is listening to this, a person in power, a very appealing um, scenario and idea into their head. Sweep these four guys out and, you know, replace them with uh, more marketable individuals. Well, the great thing in life is we do have some control over our own destinies. I mean, the Dolphins didn't want anything to do with Ryan Tannehill after five years. And now look at him get paid with the Titans. Mm. I used to think that I had control over my destiny and then I got engaged and then married and then had kids. Now I don't know if I have control of it anymore. But you handed it away. I think about sometimes. 
You gave it away. You had it. You gave it away. You have a modicum. Yeah, a little bit. Control. I feel like the control is a mirage. You just got to give give, give up the control over to the world. Let it, let it do what it will with you. Give it to God is what Greg's saying. Save, Save it for it. the Nihilism. I mean, sometimes the pandemic saying. is going to come. Uh, you don't have control over it. I'm saying you're only going to have so much control, you know? Um, all right. We have control of what we'll talk about on today's show, and that is something to be happy about. And the Arizona Cardinals will be a topic because we spun the wheel and it landed on the football club out of Glendale. So we're going to have the great Darren Urban on. He's been a longtime beat reporter for the Cardinals, and we're going to uh, discuss everything around that team as it uh, enters the 2020 season, a time of optimism uh, for the Cardinals and their fan base. Uh, but before that, let's hit a little bit of news. Ricky. First of all, Peterson caught the ball, which is rare because he doesn't catch a lot of passes, but then he stayed in bounds, got 13 yards. How about that? He broke the tackle of Cam Chancellor, by the way. Shook him off like a little winter snow on a sunlit, moonlit evening. <laughs> what? <laughs> Boy, that was weird right there, wasn't it? <laughs> you think? <laughs> Mark, I remember it like it was yesterday. Ron Wolfley, the uh, longtime color guy for Cardinals football. It was a Thursday night game. You and I were uh, assigned. This is about, I'd say, two or three seasons ago. We were assigned uh, with covering the wrap-up of the game. We used to have to connect and meet in the actual office at NFL Media, which is a place we used to go to to work. Uh, and uh, we both heard it separately on our radios while traveling to meet each other at a tavern. Yeah, and it's like we had talked previously, how do we want to open this? What kind of clips do we want to use? How do we want to throw it all away? The minute we heard it, and we already, we, this this podcast, were, we were Ron Wolfley fans to begin with. Um, I don't know what was happening to hit in the bloodstream that evening to him, although that seems <laughs> typical, but um, it came out very well and just perfect. That was beautiful. Uh, all right. More Cardinal stock coming up in a bit, but let's start with the news. Yes, the uh, Rooney Rule is getting an overhaul. It's getting a makeover and it's overdue, obviously as the league struggles to uh, add minority coaches, add minority management figures. So they're, they're beefing up the Rooney rule. Uh, and here's what is new. Uh, of course, NFL network, Jim Chatter reported last week that the owners were considering a proposal that would have improved teams, third round draft picks by six to 10 slots. If they hired a minority candidate, for a vacant GM or head coach opening uh, that was tabled. So that is not something that's happening this season. We'll see if that's something that uh, happens down the line, but for now that is not uh, uh, part of the updated Rooney rule. But one big standout here is that teams will now be required to interview at least two candidates from outside their organization for any vacant head coaching job. And at least one minority candidate from outside their organization for any vacant offensive, defensive, or special teams coordinator job. Uh, the NFL has also uh, waived the setup where teams could deny assistant coaches and executives the opportunity to interview for jobs with other organizations. This was approved on Tuesday at the owners' meetings, the virtual owners' meetings. So no longer will you hear things in the news, and it happens every year in January, that uh, so-and-so was denied the opportunity to interview for a coordinator position uh, by his team that wants to keep him in the building. And that is also designed, uh, Greg, as a way to uh, give these coaches a better chance to get 
uh, higher level jobs, uh, specifically the minority coaches. Yeah, it's funny that, and it's understandable. We we did it too. Gave so much attention last week to Jim Trotter's report, which was interesting and you know out of the box, and it's been tabled, and we'll see if the, it comes back in any times. When the more substantive proposals were on the table then too, and they passed, and the fact that a two coach, you know, you have to interview two minority candidates is big. But to me, the bigger, um, you know, update is that you have to um, satisfy the Rooney rule with all of these lower level positions, not just coordinator, which is big and it's different, but throughout the front office. So senior, whether it's minorities and or female applicants in terms of football operations, like up and down the entire organization. And to me, that is meaningful change. And that maybe gets to what we talked about of having people in the pipeline. Now that's not all coaches, but it's having more decision makers certainly in there uh, in positions of power. And that's a, it's a significant change. And it sounded like it didn't have much, much pushback. Yeah. I mean, the, the chain of command is probably where um, some of the gaps are happening because you don't have enough minority coaches in these roles that lead to head coaching interviews. And certainly in the front office, I mean, think about uh, the Ravens, discovering or any team an extra person that would fit the bill there and play an Eric DaCosta role for years where you're the heir apparent. There just aren't a lot of those um, scenarios being filled right now the way that, um, you know, they should fairly be if you have a wider berth and a wider look at candidates. It starts at the top. Who hires GMs? Owners do. Who hires coaches? GMs with the approval of owners. And until you get more minority owners, you're going to have to keep making rules like this. And, you know, credit to them for, for understanding they need to make more progressive rules. The the rule about the assistants can't be blocked for taking a coordinator job really isn't necessarily part of the Rooney rule. And, and I immediately just started thinking of other scenarios in recent years that that could have impacted. You know, Matt LaFleur's brother would be with him, Mike LaFleur, in Green Bay right now. He wouldn't have been... You know, with the 49ers, Kyle Shanahan has blocked a lot of his coaches over the years, and, and no one's really found fault with him because it's been part of the rules. And as part of this now, every team has to, like, define exactly what the coordinators are doing in each, and, and if there's any disputes, it goes right to the commissioner. And, like, that's a pretty big deal, and, and it allows a lot more flexibility of assistants just kind of jumping jobs if, if they like the opportunity better somewhere else. In other news, the New Orleans Saints quarterback room continues to be a area of interest. Drew Brees is there. He resigned with the team this offseason. Could be his last year. Taysom Hill is there. Uh, he's been exciting. And how could we forget he was the best player on the field in that playoff game <laughs> in January. And, of course, Jameis Winston is in the building now, signing that one-year deal Jay Glazer of The Athletic, uh, he wrote a little bit about uh, the Taysom Hill situation in his mailbag, a recent mailbag, which is fine. I think <laughs> Glazer does. It's fine. Uh, this is what he said. No smokescreen. He's the guy referring to Taysom Hill as the future QB of the Saints. Sean Payton loves him, but it's not just him. The whole team loves him. Glazer also called Hill a, quote, bigger Lamar Jackson. 30 years old, Taysom Hill, 13 career passes, a bigger Lamar Jackson. Take it away, guys. 
Well, I think <clears throat> number one, Sean Payton. I mean, he, he mentioned in his in his mailbag, which is a, it was a pretty great read. I'm just gonna throw that out there, Dan. Shots fired. Well, multiple mailbags can be fun to read. I mean, I found it informative. Um, you know, news breaking in a sense. Uh, but it, it he he said that Sean Payton wanted basically to unleash. Breaking. Well, he where did we first hear about OBJ to the Browns? I mean, there's you know, there are there is some I'm not taking anything away from another mailbag. And that was not my point here. It was that he had a great nugget that he thought that Sean Payton's wishes were to unleash Taysom Hill without anyone seeing him at all. I mean, we already all talk about Taysom Hill because we've seen it and you had and they wanted to use him because it's like get him on the field. But his wishes were to just basically drop a bomb at the league on the league at some point and say, look what we've been hiding this whole time. There's such a how quickly we forget the how quickly we forget the undercooked COVID-19 news bomb from the Glazer mailbag or whatever it was. Whatever, Mark. There's between the Saints and football Twitter. The Saints have been telling us this for a couple of years now. And Glazer had the exact same report in January that. Taysom Hill is the quarterback of the future. He's going to be the franchise quarterback in the future. Nick Underhill, Saints beat writer, I've said on this podcast before, has said as strong as their comments are publicly on Taysom Hill, the Saints and their players and their management think even more highly of him behind the scenes in private when they talk about him. I don't understand the refusal to accept that this guy is the future in New Orleans. I, I, I'm ready to believe it. I um, I have kind of changed my thought that the Saints believe in him based on this contract. And it's funny. I did this. We did this whole podcast about you know when Jameis Winston signed, and within a day, everything I said was couldn't have been more wrong because I thought the Saints said a lot with that contract. I mean, Taysom Hill's getting 16 million dollar cap figure next year. That says a lot. Jay Glazer and Sean Payton are couldn't be closer. I mean, w- there was a time when it was basically Sean Payton and Jay Glazer versus the world. Sean Payton hated every single member, uh, I think, of human civilization that did not live in New Orleans other than Jay Glazer. It was basically the two of them. So if he's if he's saying it, like, I, I don't know. I, I buy it, and it'll be fascinating to watch. And I will come down as I'll believe it when I see it. That's okay. all. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I mean, at some point, the man will, I guess, be the be the number one quarterback of the Saints right now. Ostensibly, he's the number three quarterback. I mean, something yeah. about Taysom Hill seems to get under your skin a little bit, Dan. Well, that's that's ninety nine percent of football Twitter. Like, he's just a punching bag. He's just there to make jokes for. He's not actually a football player. Honestly, it is. It's two sides of this, and I guess it's people that lean a little too heavily on his inexperience. And then there's people like, I don't know what Wes just said as an example that you're not allowed to question whether this guy will ever be the real choice because the saints, you could look at these moves and also see it the other way that if, if you really want him to be the quarterback of the future, maybe make him the, the backup, uh, backup quarterback. That's not how James they want to use him. The That's not but how I'm they want like to use then he's not. Then he's not truly the quarterback of the future. Then he's the he, captain. He can, Winston is there to, just so they can true. use Taysom still on the field. Right. They, they, I it's, just want to see him throw because because his throw. I just want to see him throw more. You know, that's it. It's like you know he's he just hasn't thrown the ball in an NFL game almost at all, and he's turning thirty one. So outside of not even Kurt Warner wouldn't even qualify. Outs, you know, they're just. 
I ha- there, we don't have a lot of examples like that where someone who has not thrown the ball in the NFL until they're 31 suddenly becomes the guy. But I do believe by their actions, the Saints are telling us that is the plan. But let's say that Drew Brees retears his thumb ligament in week two and he's out for six weeks. Who's the quarterback? You would think it's Taysom Hill. I would want it to be Taysom Hill. I've said all along. Not to be at that point. That's what I want to know. I want to know, like, because if you really think this guy is the future quarterback of the franchise, I don't, if we're getting another Teddy Bridgewater type situation, only it's Jameis Winston. It's just to me a sign that that this is not the guy they truly believe in as a quarterback. But Dan, do you acknowledge that he's used differently than, QB two on any other roster right now that they that he's a part of special teams he's used all over the field he was electrifying in that, that play. but then so they but if they you're don't special want, as he's supposed to be but if you're the you're going to want him with the ball in his hands as much as possible if if, if fair if, point if Breeze went down I would be very very annoyed and and I'd find it mysterious if they don't want to see what Taysom Hill can bring now versus a year from now. All right, well we're going to see it play out, or we won't. Hopefully, it'll be football in September. Or we won't because Drew Brees, you know, yeah. plays well and and they're a top five team again and, and Taysom Hill just does his thing in the Taysom Hill role. In other news, Ryan Fitzpatrick was a lot of fun last year with the Dolphins, as we all know. Uh, he stepped into that role as a veteran uh, of a team that was supposed to be absolutely dreadful and really was early in the season. And then with his combination of a you know gunslinger mentality and moxie and leadership attributes he made the dolphins watchable and they won games and they even shocked the patriots and foxborough in week 17 changing the course perhaps of the nfl season uh well he's back he's still with the team but so is now tua tunga viola they got it tunga viola and uh, Fitzpatrick was on Eric Woods podcast. Wes, Eric Woods has a connection to you. Eric Wood has a connection Eric, to you. Eric Wood went to Elder High School, my high school, same high school as Kyle Rudolph and several long snappers. Eric Wood has a podcast. Fitz was on it. Here is what Fitz had to say about his role with Tua going forward. The other thing in bringing a new guy in that I always try to impress right away on these guys is like, I am here. Again, zero ego. Like, I have so much knowledge. I've made so many mistakes in this league in terms of dumb decisions and throws, and I've learned how to prepare. I've learned so much about offenses and defenses and the way that guys operate. Ask questions. Like, I'm an open book. Ask me whatever you want. I'm really excited. I'm excited that they drafted him. Like, I'm excited because in watching him play at Alabama, like, he looks like he's a pretty dynamic talent. Just in meeting him, uh, a few times, like he seems like an unbelievable kid, great head on his shoulders, like says the right things, wants to do the right things. So like for me, I'm his biggest cheerleader right now. Fitzpatrick went on to say that he, the reason he's still playing football is because he wants to be on the field and you understand that. So the competitor competitor in Fitz is still there, uh, but he gets it as you imagine the Harvard man would Wes, uh, that, he is not the future. Tua is. And honestly, you couldn't have a better guy in the building than Ryan Fitzpatrick, right? I, I love that interview because to me, it seemed pulled from 50 years ago. A, a time before like money was the determining factor and everything in sports. This is about team and it's about he emphasized several times in that interview. I have all of this knowledge I've acquired over the years. 
I mean, we know he's a Harvard guy. He's smart. And, and his point about making bad decisions, that's how wisdom is gained, by making mistakes and learning from them. Who's made more mistakes than Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback over the last couple of decades? <laughs> he has all this wisdom. He doesn't want it to go to waste. And to me, that's what team sports are all about. When I hear excuses for selfish quarterbacks, hey, go play a, go play a sport where you don't have to be on a team. Hmm. I love Fitz. It also makes me think um, even more, not that I needed to, uh, of my man Mark Bulger. One of the more underrated quarterbacks, I would say, of the last 10 years. Because Fitzpatrick came into those Mark Bulger teams and he said that, you know, the veterans there really did everything they could. And I remember Fitzpatrick with Mike Martz lighting up the fantasy airwaves as a uh, as a rookie. And uh, I don't know. Um, he, Of course, every quarterback should be like this, but they aren't. And um, it well, makes me want to have Fitzpatrick on our team, I mean, on our TV show potentially. But now I'm wondering, like, he was on Neil's pod. He was just on this pod. Is mm. is he overexposed or do, would we still want Ooh. He has the luxury of approaching this as a bridge quarterback. He's never been seen as the face of the franchise, so I don't expect him to approach this situation in the same way as a Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. I thought it was interesting he called last year his the best year of his career because of the obstacles that he faced and um. I mean, yeah, you look at the end. I mean, I, I'm a gardener. I'm a Minshewian. But I would say that the most exciting quarterback in Florida in the NFL last year was Ryan Fitzpatrick. I mean, he was about. I thought he was. From, I, no, like, no sarcasm. I thought he was the best quarterback in the AFC East. Yeah, I thought I he was like a little bit better than Brady and, and better than Darnold and, and Allen. In a much tougher crazy. situation. Yeah. Yes. He's good. He's always been good and always been fun. I'd love to have Ryan Fitzpatrick on the show. Let's do it. Okay. And you yeah, have a connection with him, Dan. You, you, yeah. you and him Ricky. took a photo together. We did take a photo together at a Madden Super Bowl party coming off his uh, his lone good season with the Jets after the 2015 season. In other news, uh, the XFL. Remember that? Remember when there was not only the NFL, but there was another league that wanted to be a competition to the NFL and then – COVID-19 showed up and and whacked the XS, XFL out of existence, uh, filed for bankruptcy. Uh, the Vince McMahon had, had appeared to cut ties with the company that had attempted a launch back in the early 2000s and failed and then was knocked down by coronavirus. Well, maybe Vince isn't ready to give up yet. Uh, the Athletic reports that XFL creditors, quote, seem to believe that Vince McMahon himself, the man who started the league, is positioning to buy the league out of bankruptcy. Separately, XFL president Jeffrey Pollack has contacted stadiums in Seattle and Los Angeles and St. Louis, excuse me, about reinstating the league's lease agreements. And um, this is also kind of news connected to the XFL right now. Andrew Luck's father whose name is Oliver 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 Luck is in the middle of a contentious showdown, legal showdown with Vince McMahon. He was the commissioner of the XFL uh, who was fired. And there is a lot of wrangling money and uh, ugly, ugly insults and accusations going back and forth there. So the XFL is an explosive situation (laughs) as you kind of expected it always to be, whether that was on the field or off. I mean, this situation is insane. It's like, 
I don't understand um, the bankruptcy laws to really get into the ethics of uh, bankrupting your company and then rebuying it back, but it doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem right while uh, everyone's waiting to get paid by this guy. That, that's what I'd say. Also, doesn't seem smart. What are you going to restart this league in the middle of a pandemic when you can't have crowds? Yeah, well, I mean, he's. Yeah. I, I mean, Vince McMahon. <laughs> I feel like he's been doing um, high level, crazy, bizarre business moves for as long as uh, Erica's boy. Donald Trump. I mean, you got to go back to the eighties uh, with some of his antics. <laughs> what? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I just thought I had to put that on someone. So what the, <laughs> it was going to be anyone. Yeah. That makes I sense. just dropped it on you. It could have been, Oh, please. All right. Bye. I mean, if, if we're having a two sides in the Oliver luck, uh, Vince McMahon, um, battle, I'm, uh, I'm with team luck. Yeah. It seems like the nicer person. <laughs> yeah. Seems seems like a nice fellow. That Oliver has created some fine athletes in his life. He was supposed to be paid twenty three million. Uh, not a lot of Olivers around right now, by the way. Oliver, a fading like a, name. Doesn't that feel like a, a big starting salary for the XFL commissioner? You just start at twenty three million. Yes. <laughs> it's absurd. And like Vince has now failed with this twice. And I understand uh, McMahon supporters or believers will say, "Well, he got banged here by an unprecedented pandemic," which is fair, but. Dude, I mean, how much money, how much of your net worth in your life are you willing to pour into this idea to the point where you might be buying it out of bankruptcy if that's even allowed? I mean, the whole thing is is kind of absurd. Well, you're allowed it's to be a been McMahon supporter and still believe that the XFL will never be a successful league. Mm. You don't have to back everything the man does. That's true. That's true. Uh, finally, in the news, Greg wants to talk about uh, Patrick Chung. No, I said we could skip that. We have breaking news. That is skippable. We have legitimate breaking news. Rap Sheet is reporting that Cowboys pass rusher Alden Smith has been reinstated to the NFL. That's big news. They're counting on him. I think that's significant. Like... People are. I'm seeing some some folks predicting them to go to the Super Bowl, and they got the offense to do it. But they need either Alden Smith or Randy Gregory, who's still suspended, to show up and make an impact. Which is counting, which is you know a little risky to count on that. But they just don't have many other options as as a pass rusher. That's funny annual thing for the Cowboys. They're always counting on a pass rusher to not be suspended. It's often Randy Gregory, but Mike McCarthy. uh, You know, maybe during his year in the wilderness, said he formed a very a uh, strong relationship with with Alden Smith. So it's there's some buy in there with that player, which um, I think is equally risky. I mean, I can't think of anyone more risky outside of maybe Josh Gordon. Patrick Chung has signed a <laughs> two year extension with the Patriots. I'm just he received three million signing bonus as part of the deal. The Pats gain close to a million in cap space, but that's just Greg attempting to bury the lead of something that he thought he got away with it because we forgot to do it on Monday. But the real transaction to talk about is right here. And now another. Sipping on Vino, checking on Gina. I mean, I love talking Gina. Gino, I don't like this warmed over bit. You know, <laughs> oh, <yeah. What? 
It's like it's like we we had this bit has always made Greg uncomfortable because he thinks it's a personal shot at him, but it's a way to get your favorite player in the podcast on a semi-regular basis. It's not I don't think it's a shot at me. I think it's a shot at, at Gino. Plus it's it's succeeding one of my favorite segments of all time. It's like it's like a sequel that can't live up to um what was the other one called? No, I'm forgetting it. Um Mo-mo. Who was our guy? Who was Mo-mo. our guy? Mobo. I'm dying here. <laughs> Catch it up with Maurice Boringer. Uh you know what? Geno Smith's a winner. We already talked we talked about it on the show. When you that when you want a winner, you bring Geno Smith back. Rex yes, Ryan out here honking about, about it that way. Rex Ryan honking about Geno Smith. Geno Smith's entering his eight eight seasons. That's as long as Rex Ryan lasted uh as a head coach. So one more year here and Geno can outlast his uh arch nemesis great you could try as hard as you want but you cannot whitewash the fact that geno smith ran down the sideline and rooted against his own starting quarterback when he was on the same team (laughs) i mean he was a young man that was a long time ago and then he got punched uh, in the face in the locker room by his minutes after right we discussed ryan fitzpatrick and what and what an (laughs) asset he is you're pumping up a guy scampering down the the sideline anti-own team okay hey Clearly, Russell Wilson likes him, and Pete Carroll likes him. I don't, uh, I don't think they're signing him because Russell, Russell Wilson likes him. He he called the great uh, tales heads or tails uh, last year. I don't know if you remember it's that a short list of bullet points. Short list of quarterbacks that have made the divisional round in each of the last two years: Patrick Mahomes, oh, the, and Geno Smith. That's like oh, Brock Osweiler leading the Texans to the playoffs, right, Wes? <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Oh, the irony of. Uh, Brian Fitzpatrick being the man that replaced Geno Smith after Geno <laughs> opted not to pay a teammate $300 for a plane ticket and blew off some type of uh, speech with children. This is the guy that you support, Greg. Well, I'm sure none of us have matured since we were 24 years old. You know, I'm sure uh, no one can develop as a human. He's just stuck in ember back in 24. I'd argue no. I've not, but I, I don't know where you're coming from with that argument. <laughs> All right. Good seg. And that was another edition of Sipping on Vino, Checking on Gino. That's what's happening in the news. All right, boys. Let's get to it. We spun the wheel. It landed on the Arizona Cardinals. So the first team in our team-by-team look uh, at the National Football League, our league, is the Arizona Cardinals. Here's some... uh, a little setup for the Cardinals. Here we go. Uh, this is the 5-10-1 Arizona Cardinals of 2019. That was fourth place in the NFC West Division. Coached by Cliff Kingsbury in his second year. They were 16th in the league in points four at 22.5 points a game. 22.6 to be exact. Uh, they were 28th of 32 in points against. And they are a team that... Uh, has been to one Super Bowl in their history. A narrow loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers in the 2008 season. And I want to uh, get into it right there with the Arizona Cardinals and give the leadership a lot of credit, boys, because the move to punt on Josh Rosen and draft Kyler Murray with the number one overall pick, that took a lot of guts. It also took... It was a huge whiff, and Josh Rosen, who knows anymore? Like, Rosen is just languishing in Miami, like 15th on the depth chart at this point. I don't even know what's going to happen with his career. But that decision, that singular decision to say, 
uh, we're not sure we got this right with Rosen. And we love Kyler Murray so much. The fact that we have the number one overall pick, we need to relaunch this whole thing. And we're going to do it with Murray and Cliff Kingsbury, this coach that had up and down success in college, but is a bright young mind. We're going to kind of hitch our wagons to this coach and this quarterback. As we look ahead now to 2020 after 2019 and the rookie seasons for both those guys, it just feels like they made the absolute right decision and, and the organization is so much better off for it, even if it was, let's face it, embarrassing the way it played mm. out initially. It was the right decision and they shouldn't be embarrassed. Like more teams need to own up to their mistakes sooner. Steve Kine might work an extra seven years in the NFL because of it. They remind me so much, though, of the Browns last year. Not not the total hype of the team and how deep they are, but just Baker and Kyler um, because Kyler is that hope. I, I know when you did your pain rankings, the Cardinals got dinged because they haven't been in a consistent place for one long. But if there is some mythical Cardinals fan who's been a fan this whole time going back 56 years, they're 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 it. They're the worst. I don't know if they're they have the most pain or not, but they're the worst NFL. They've been the worst in terms of results NFL organization that there's ever been. I'd say one very hopeful note going forward is that that switch to Kyler Murray and Steve Kime being willing to say, all right, whether we got Rosen right or not, we're going to work with what Cliff Kingsbury wants. The teams where the GM and the coach are not listening to each other and you could have had a power, a classic NFL power struggle that would have held the team back for years. Didn't happen. And so Kime lives on and it shows that Cliff Kingsbury has a voice and a lot of power. It it's also shows how quickly you can reverse your fortunes in the NFL. Yeah. And you can fall from great heights so quickly, but you can also rebuild in a year. You are not damned to be in the cellar forever. Unless you're the Browns or the Lions. All right. <laughs> Sorry, Mark. I was just kidding. What about the, the Bengals? How about you, you, you remember that other team you from Ohio? <laughs> they fit in the basement pretty well. All right. Absolutely. Let's let's stay Stay on topic, boys. And uh, now that we've set the table, let's bring in a guest. All right. Like we said, for this segment, we're going to bring in somebody from the outside, somebody that gets it, someone who's mm-hmm. in it. And Darren Urban of the Cardinals website is as plugged in as anyone. This is his 21st season covering the uh, pro team in Arizona. So now we welcome him to the Around the NFL podcast. What's up, Darren? Welcome to the show. How are you guys doing? We're doing well. We're doing well. What, what's what's life like on the Arizona Cardinals beat? You know, what, how how competitive is it? Uh, do you love doing it? Give us give us like uh, your feelings on working this beat. You better after 21 years. <laughs> I was going to say, um, no, it's always been something I've very much enjoyed. I've been lucky enough to kind of work a couple of different sides of it. Clearly, uh, I was at a newspaper for a number of years, the East Valley Tribune, uh, before coming over to the team website. And I've been fortunate enough where uh, I think in a lot of ways, uh, you know, obviously working for a team is different than working for a newspaper, but I feel like uh, they've really given me a lot of freedom to do uh, a lot of the things that I would have done anyways. And uh, I, there's a lot of people that I work alongside in the league that work for other teams that kind of like raise their eyebrows sometimes with some of the stuff I'm able to write, which quite frankly makes me happy because I feel like, okay, I, I, I'm doing, I'm doing a pretty decent job here. So, you know, obviously I love it. I've been here, you know, doing this, covering this team for 21 years and I don't plan on changing anytime soon. Darren, when I look at the Cardinals this off season, great off season so far. Um, the question that 
is foremost in my mind is when they say that Isaiah Simmons is primarily going to be a linebacker, they paid Jordan Hicks a lot of money. I think you reported that Devondre Campbell was their number one uh, target in free agency this year. Um, and, and then Vance Joseph's background, we've sort of lost some confidence in the last few years about what he can do for a defense. I know he made his name as a defensive backs coach with the Bengals. Why should we be confident or, or is there anything you hear behind the scenes or see from Vance Joseph that makes you confident that they're going to have a great plan for Isaiah Simmons that makes sense for everyone? Well, I mean, I, I start with the idea, guys, that, you know, you don't draft a guy like Isaiah Simmons unless you've had many, many, many conversations beforehand of if this guy's on the board, what are we going to do with him? And how are we best going to deploy him so that he's going to be the kind of player uh, that everybody expects him to be? So um, in that regard, I, I think they're going to have a good plan in place. I mean, it's going to hurt, uh, just like most of these rookies, that he's not going to get a chance to be on the field for a while uh, and be within the defense in a practice setting, uh, you know, until training camp. Um, but I, I do think that, I think some of the things that Vance Joseph went through last year with what didn't work with this defense, uh, I don't think that was all on him. I, I think there was personnel that desperately needed to be changed up and overhauled. There were injuries uh, that they dealt with. And I, I know that sounds a little bit like excuse making, but I, I was making this point on our own podcast this week. You know, when you people want to talk about where this defense is, Patrick Peterson talking about how, this great team that he's on and everything. If we would have talked about the defense the Cardinals would have had on May 1st last year, that defense didn't exist by the time we got to September 1st. I mean, Patrick Peterson had gotten suspended. Robert Alford got hurt. They had a couple defensive linemen uh, have issues and get cut. I mean, they look dramatically different by the time they got on the field. I think right now with what Vance Joseph has to work with, I like what it looks like. And I think that – would help him get Isaiah Simmons into the right places. Now, what it looks like when they actually start playing games, that could be a whole different ballgame. DeAndre Hopkins, uh, the trade, is obviously the big story, uh, the huge story leading into um, the offseason, kicking off the offseason for the Cardinals. Uh, was this something that was in the offing, as some of that was close to the team, that, this, that the Cardinals were going to be aggressive, looking for a number one guy? Uh, for Kyler Murray and was Hopkins a name that you had heard out there and how surprising was it when it all went down? Uh, I'll be honest, the Hopkins part of it, I was stunned on. I had heard some rumblings that they were going to be able to deal David Johnson, uh, which was a little surprising to me given his contract situation. Um, and that there wasn't a lot of specifics, uh, but I, so I wasn't surprised they were able to find a trade partner for David Johnson because I had heard, that possibility. But in terms of getting DeAndre Hopkins, I mean, I was completely on that thought process that they might spend the number eight pick on a number one receiver um, to, to go with Fitz, to go with Christian Kirk. I know the day that the Hopkins trade dropped, I mean, I was, I was as surprised as most everybody. Um, I didn't think the Texans would want to deal him. I know it's since then, it, even DeAndre has talked about that uh, he had heard that they had been trying to deal him for about a year, which I still don't understand, but that's that's another team. I'll let Texans.com worry about that. But, <laughs> I mean, I, I just I feel like that did kind of come out of left field. And for them to land a number one receiver 
that way and in the process moving David Johnson's deal. I mean, I think that set up this entire offseason in a good way for the Cardinals because then that opened up what they could do in the draft. It, it gave them a little more flexibility and free agency. I just it just changed the whole ball game. Darren, we uh you know, we got one season's worth of Cliff Kingsbury and I the, I feel like the biggest story attached to him was his high octane uh living scenario during the draft. Um that <laughs> turned some heads. But when you look at this coach and, and I they, I look at their schedule last year and they um if I looked at one area they could improve it might have been maybe the 2 minute offense. They lost a series of games very close at the end. They lost to the Ravens and Steelers 23 to 17. Uh, that's one area you could point to with Cling's Cl- uh, with Cliff, where maybe there's a, gro- a, cr- a little bit of a curve there. What, when you look at him, what's what does he bring to the Cardinals that's special that maybe uh, your average fan wouldn't know about him? One of the things I love about Cliff Kingsbury, which I wasn't necessarily expecting, you know, when I when he first got hired, I did the, you know the the natural big story about who is Cliff Kingsbury and everything, talking to a lot of people, and and they said a lot of the things that that. I saw up close, which was his, his ego isn't what you would think it might be given some people seeing his persona. And I think that played out on the field. I mean, this was a team that went into training camp and the regular season thinking, okay, we're going to run, you know, the four wide quick passing all the time, all this stuff, not use a lot of tight ends. And that just wasn't working. Um, They made the effort to get a running back that fit better in the offense with Kenyon Drake. Uh, he started morphing so that he used the tight end more often. Uh, they ran the ball, a li- I think, a little bit more than a lot of us expected. Um, and I think you could see as the season went on that he was willing to change if that what was necessary. And I, I think all of us have seen uh, situations where there are coaches that don't think that way. They all talk that way. They all mm-hmm. say they're going to you know, make their offense or make their game plan work for their personnel. But there's so many coaches that don't actually do it. I think Cliff Kingsbury is a guy that is willing to swallow his ego. A lot of players talked about when they went to him, hey, what about this? What about this? And he would not only listen to him, but if he didn't have the answer, he would say, you know what? I don't know. Let me look into that and I'll get back to you. And he would do that. I think a lot of players appreciate that. And I think the fact that he's willing to be that flexible, I think means a lot going forward. Yeah, I think Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray's relationship, like how he gets the best out of Kyler Murray, I mean, that basically is the Cardinals. I mean, that's why they hired him. And I yeah. I guess I wonder, you've seen, Darren, so many quarterbacks come through Arizona <laughs> in 21 years. I mean, John Skelton and John Navarre. And you've seen some you've seen some, uh, some bad ones. Kevin Cobb, you've seen some good ones like Carson. Who do we Palmer. hang out with at the Combine, Sessler? Right. Yeah, that's right. Was that no. Skelton? Oh, baby. I don't know if we're allowed uh, to check. You saw one great one in, in Kurt Warner. You've never seen one kind of come in like this as a, as a number one overall draft pick. I'm guess I'm curious. You're someone that's there every single day. You're in the locker room. You're you're a practice. Like, how did how did you think he handled that that first year of being the guy? And like, what what are the reactions of of I guess the rest of the organization and, and his teammates around him to how he handled it? You know, obviously when Kyler was drafted, there was so many questions about it. The team spending a first-round pick on a quarterback two years in a row. Josh Rosen was there all the way up until the draft. It was a very – there was a lot of tension, quite frankly, in the air with a lot of that stuff. And I had some questions over Kyler Murray, and I had seen him in college, but I had the same – I wondered the same things that a lot of people did. And then once I saw him throwing, even on air in those first few practices, I'm like, oh, okay, I – I guess I can see what they see. 
And I think as the season went on, in a lot of ways, what Kyler did mirrored what Cliff did uh, in terms of a learning curve. I mean, if you look at those first four, five, six games, Kyler Murray did things that you're like, okay, you're not going to be able to do that. You you need to realize, especially after those first few games, guess what? You're not going to get the corner on some of these linemen. You think you are because they they weigh a hundred more pounds than you or whatever it is, but they can still chase you down. He had to learn some of that stuff. There were so many sacks early in the year that Kyler Murray just shouldn't have been taking because he thought he could run around forever until he did something. And that doesn't work on this level. And I think his, his learning curve, I, I think, was impressive uh, from game one to game 16. And, and I, I do think once I got to the end of the year, I see a guy who can be a franchise quarterback, who can throw up from the pocket, uh, you know, can, can use his legs. Are there things he needs to learn? Absolutely. You know, I was listening to uh, a radio interview this week with both Kurt Warner and Carson Palmer talking about Kyler. And one of the things they mentioned was the fact that he still needs to – take the throws that are there. You know, once in a while, there's going to be a nine yard curl route. That's right there early in the play. Just take it. You don't need to make it be bigger than it is. And I do think there are some plays like that, that he will get better at. But like you said, Greg, I mean, I think Cliff and Kyler, that marriage is only going to get better. And, you know, Cliff not being at the office and hanging out at home by himself that just gives him that much more time to sit and think about what he wants mm. to do with Tyler Murray. And I do think that that's Dangerous. going to have an impact at some point. Do you see having no kids is a sneaky advantage for Cliff Kingsbury <laughs> in a uh, pandemic? Well, for humans uh, in general, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, Darren Urban. And as we know, franchises that wander through the desert, literally in Arizona, looking for a quarterback, fans suffer for decades, but so too do beat writers. So we're very happy that Darren has <laughs> young Kyler Murray to make his job more exciting uh, going forward. And, and thank you uh, for joining us today and giving us that perspective and uh, best of luck and stay healthy, Mr. Urban. Happy to talk to you guys. Thanks, thank Darren. You. All right. Thanks, See Darren. You there he goes. Darren Urban. You could check him out uh, on Twitter and also the Arizona Cardinals team site. His Twitter handle is at Cards Chatter. So check that out. Uh, we hung out at a Waffle House with Ryan Lindley at the Combine. I don't know why that would be secretive, Mark. Uh, well, you know, it was because... Mark holding on to it like a state secret. Well, a lot of stuff happened. I don't. I think some of it should be secret. What time but... of the morning was it? Well, it was, be, it was before and after the sun rose, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. Before we had, we had a good after. time. Um, all right, so... Uh, great conversation there um, with Darren. And that would that is kind of my big question as we kind of spin forward here um, with Kyler Murray is, is he the guy? Is he is he special enough to rise this team to the top of the NFC West, which, as we know, is a very competitive di- division? I mean, you look at where they're at right now. They're coming off. A last place finish last year, but we saw Murray get better and he even won offensive rookie of the year. Um, but the Rams are a team in transition. The Seahawks um, always are going to be in the mix. The, the Niners, of course, are coming off a Super Bowl um, visit. So where do the Cardinals shake out in this division? And does Murray have to be an MVP level guy for them to be a major presence in 2020? Mm-hmm. 
You know, I saw some talk about Kyler Murray as an MVP candidate. The, you know, the odds are out there, and he was like sixth or seventh on the list. And I saw some chatter like, oh, that maybe of all those, that's the best value. And I thought, like, I love Kyler Murray, and that seems crazy to me. Crazy to me. It's like Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, I think, have people thinking that everyone's going to be an MVP or close to it in their second year in the league. And it's like Kyler Murray could be 300% better, be a top – 10 quarterback and this team could still be pretty lousy like if we had if we had time you know with Darren it's like I would have asked what what are the Cardinals see I guess in their offensive line in their secondary in their defensive line that we don't see because they didn't really touch those positions and and I think it's the toughest division in football and in even if Kyler Murray plays really well I guess I think they're still the most likely team to be in last could they be better could they sneak out 9 or 10 wins sure but it, it feels like man Kyler Murray would have to be like insanely good to be an MVP candidate this I mean year. they seem to be talked about as they remind me a little bit um the Bucks stole this mantle but of the hype surrounding maybe the Niners two years ago or the Browns a year ago where we haven't seen it. And um, you're assuming a lot's going to happen in a hurry for a team that really won five games last year and had holes. But I, I think Wes mentioned it before, when you look at what they've added, um, I'm not sure that a team um, grew as much as, as the Cardinals did this off season. And they seem to, they're not that far away from having what Cliff Kingsbury would imagine his offense to be, the way that Kyle Shanahan got there in a couple years with the Niners. And they did get Josh Jones a tackle at the number 72 pick. And, you know, some people had, you know, these tackles were rated all over the map, but PFF had him as their 14th rated guy overall in the draft. And he is a massive dude. And if he works out, I mean, a top, I guess I'd say who did they add? Is they, a top 10 pick at offensive line is a dart throw. Once you get into that range, it feels like, you know, you're just praying that you're going to get a, a fringe starter. I'm just starter saying they almost, did you know? not address it. I mean, they, right. they, they, and also you have to pack in DeAndre Hopkins as part of their offseason haul and it affected their draft situation. Absolutely. But I guess I look at their offseason, I think, other than Hopkins, which was the move of the offseason, and that can't be understated. I, I, I guess I don't see what they add. They added a draft class, sure, and it looks promising, but a lot of stuff. Steve Kimes draft classes look promising. I guess I don't put a ton of stock into that. And it's basically Hopkins and it's counting on Murray to get better, which is a reasonable, you know, expectation. Well, he, this offense finished seventh in weighted DVOA, which slants the stats, advanced stats towards the end of the season. If you did better in December, you're going to finish higher in weighted DVOA. So a top 10 offense down the stretch, once Christian Kirk got healthy, Kyler Murray went most of the year with one of the worst wide receiver cores in the NFL. He went most of the year with a bad offensive line. They get Marcus Gilbert back at right tackle. Um, like Mark said, they bring in Josh Jones. Um, I, I want to know, is that weighted DVOA? Is that a small sample size effect? Is that Cliff Kingsbury smoke and mirrors effect? How much of that is real? How much mm. of that is gains that will carry over to next year? And I think that's a big question. But when you watch – Kyler Murray play there are weeks where you say who spins it like this guy like his accuracy and release especially on intermediate and deep balls is really impressive I think if you made it like the 10 best throws of Kyler Murray season it would stack up with most any quarterback in the league and I think Cliff Cliff it's only a year but they were they were second in rushing DVO DVOA for the year with Kenyon Drake with right you know, with David, the former, you know, David Johnson, essentially with, with Chase Edmonds. Like I do think that there should be excitement and 
Kyler is such a threat in the running game that like maybe Cliff is going to be like Kyle Shanahan light or Kyle Shanahan when it comes to the running game. And that makes everything like a lot easier. It's more about the defense, I guess, that I'm I'm not quite buying in. On I got to bring up Jason Zumwalt. I asked him because he is a you know friend of the show and a big Cardinals fan what his number one concern was. And there's a lot to be optimistic for. Uh, Dan's longtime friend. And, you know, I mean, he's, he's a bit of a snake bit Cardinals fan, the way that some of us are with certain franchises. He mentioned, I did like Mark bringing up Jason, like he's Robert De Niro. Well, that, we've we've mentioned him so many times on the <laughs> to show. Me, he that is, longtime <laughs> listeners know. To me, he's at least Christopher Walken based on his walking with Giants bits. So he is a bit of a celebrity to me. And he's written real television shows, which um, isn't Absolutely. easy to do. What a talent. He is a talent, and he mentioned, and this is a bit of a deep dive, he didn't like A.Q. Shipley being uh, shipped out (laughs) at center and has some questions about whether Mason Cole can can step Mm. in. But I think the offensive line is your question. And, you know, they – they, um, if you look at their, and I don't have the DVOA scenario here, but they were the 29th ranked offense um, from the 20 in the red zone from 20 to goal line. That they were, it, they got into those situations and they couldn't score sometimes. And a lot of times it was because teams knew you just dropped seven defensive backs on this four wide receiver set and you let the re- the rest of the guys chase after Kyler Murray and he made some bad decisions. That's one area they need to improve because if you watch that Cleveland win. And then they went and beat the Seahawks next week. If that's what it's being weighted on, it felt like they started to awaken, become what you think they could become late in the year. And yeah. I think red right. zone is where you separate the real stars at quarterback from guys like Kirk Cousins and Jared Goff, who moved the sticks Ooh, from the 20s. Shade. But can you bring the ball into the end zone? I think the red zone is where the spectacular quarterbacks do the work. Put them in a body bag, Wes. Um, all right. Over <laughs> under Chris Wessling. Arizona Cardinals, eight and a half wins. I'm going under. Um, I just think that's a big jump. That's a huge jump. I I could see them winning eight games. I I don't see them as a playoff team. I do think, looking on the bright side, the one thing I like about this team compared to last year is they have much more depth on both sides of the ball. Hmm. Great offseason for Kime. I don't know. I don't see it. I'm going under because – to me, the defensive line might be one of the worst in football, not deep at all. The the cornerback situation, Patrick Peterson did not look like Patrick Peterson a year ago. And behind him, it's one of the worst situations in football, no depth at all. And and Mark mentioned the line. So th- those are three pretty pretty key areas that I was like they like those that those positions because they didn't touch them. But uh I, I'd go under. I think this division's brutal. If they won seven games, I feel like that'd be a, a great accomplishment. It's a it's a rough division for everyone though. Um I'll I would go nine and seven because again, I, I mentioned to Darren that they lost five games last year by like a score or something. And uh, I, I think that we saw who they were down the stretch. Uh, they did their line defensive line is not great, but they added two defensive tackles. Um, they're getting some guys healthy. I mean, in general, listening to some of their guys talk, like they feel like there is to Wes's point, more depth on defense and they can't get much worse than they were last year. I'll go, I'll take the over and Greg, you, you, you talked about um, the MVP odds and, and Murray showing up. I think that definitely, like you alluded to, is a direct correlation to what happened with Lamar Jackson and what he did in year two. And I, I guess I'd be smart. I'd feel confident betting that Kyler Murray is going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFC um, after his second full season. I think he's he feels like a can't-miss guy if he stays healthy. And they did a great job in getting him 
a true number one receiver. There just seems like a real chance to me that this guy is going to blow up this year. And that's fun to root for. Jason Zumwalt's my buddy. I'd like to see it. So I could see if Murray is a transcendent guy, and I think he could be. This team could win 10 games, and certainly with an extra playoff spot, uh, you are going to the playoffs. So how about the playoffs or the cards? I'll, I'll take Ooh, that prediction like it. Uh, right there. Um, all right. That wraps up our Arizona Cardinals deep dive, and we'll be doing this every Wednesday-ish, maybe every Wednesday. Maybe not every Wednesday, but we'll be doing it a whole bunch of times. We'll see, and we'll spin the wheel again at the end of Monday's show to find out who team two will be. And again, anybody that thought, and Ricky, jump in a second here. Anybody who thought that uh, this was not organic, that we picked the Cardinals to start with, that, that couldn't be further from the truth. Mark just guessed it. And Mark guessed it. The, who, who, who would pick the Cardinals? <laughs> right. Why would you launch it that way? <laughs> yeah, well, we did, and I feel I feel good about it. I think we did a nice job with it, so we'll keep moving on with our team-by-team team series. Uh, that wraps up the Wednesday edition of the Around the NFL podcast. A reminder, Friday, our next, our next time talking into the mics, uh, the Around the NFL broadcast on NFL Network. It's 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Uh, if you are overseas, you can check it out on Game Pass International. If you are here in the United States, and you don't have NFL Network, it's a problem. And I know some people have reached out to us about that. We've we've done some internal deep diving, trying to see if there's any way to get the show. So far, uh, no luck on that front. You need NFL Network, so maybe find a friend that has NFL Network. Tell them to DVR it and uh, come by. It's a good time to hang out with friends. Large groups, if you can, get a lot of people together. Or her house. Listen, we have all sorts of listeners to this fine show. All right. Stan Hansen signing off for Quiet Storm, the mailman, the old boss, Ricky Hollywood, behind the door of her spacious West Hollywood apartment with a pool in the center. Good for you. Till Friday. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish spring body wash and bar soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. 
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.